Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. We are all in for a great treat today as we are blessed to have a guest speaker here with us this morning, and I'm so thankful for him and thankful for what God's doing in his life. I want to ask Sean Couch to join me up here uh, for just a moment. Um, I've heard a little bit about what he's going to say to you, and uh, what he says in the first five minutes is all false, okay? <laughs> so just remember that uh, in just a moment. Uh, Sean and I go way back as friends. Uh, we were both students at Liberty and, uh, of course, learned a lot there together, served the Lord in different capacities at Liberty, but I'm so thankful for our friendship. So we were at Liberty together around the same time, and uh, upon completing education, the Lord called my wife and I to Christiansburg and called him to the Deep South for a little while. And, uh, and then the Lord, as the Lord would have it, when I pastored in Christiansburg, Virginia for 13 years, about seven and a half years ago, I was reminded this morning, yep. that the Lord brought right across the street from us uh, at a church there, my good friend, Sean Couch. And uh, Sean, I want you to know, I am so thankful for the last really seven and a half years, especially how God has grown our friendship together. And uh, Sean's a man of integrity who loves the Lord and loves his church. And, uh, and, and even in the midst of all that, man, he has a deep love for his wife and for his family. And I've been able to see that firsthand of how he cares for them and how he cares for the body of Christ. And uh, Sean and I have done a lot of life together and ministry together. We've cried together a few times, laughed together a lot. And uh, it's a joy to serve the Lord together with you here at Crosslink today. And so church, I want you to know you are in for a treat as we hear from God's word. I no doubt in my mind that Sean's the man for the hour today and God's gonna use him greatly. So can we just pray for him and pray for our time? together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brother Sean, and I thank you for his love for you. I thank you, God, for the many things that you're doing in his life. And uh, Father, I thank you for your calling upon him. Uh, Lord, uh, as, as you put this pastor's scripture on my heart and mind and uh, directed us as we've been studying on prayer, Lord, Sean is clearly the person that you put on my heart to preach your word today. God, I thank you for the word that you have put on his heart. And I thank you, God, that as he stands and proclaims your word, God, I thank you that it's not merely the voice of man that we will hear. But God, I pray that through him, God, that he would simply be a vessel through which you would speak through the Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives. God, whatever it is that we need to hear, Father, however it is that we need to respond, I pray that we would hear it clearly. And I pray that we'd be surrendered to your leading, willing to obey regardless of the cost. Father, I pray for this moment. I pray for your anointing upon Sean. I pray for your blessing of this time together. May you be glorified in it, we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. 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 Welcome. Thanks, Matthew. Um, <clears throat> well, contrary to his uh, assertion, everything I am about to say is true and accurate as far as I recall. Um, first of all, just let me go ahead and say I am so excited to be with you. And I know guest speakers say that kind of thing a lot, but I want you to know how excited I am, okay? This is not made up. This is totally and completely true. Monday night, I was working on this sermon, and I really had a great time with the Lord. I got so excited about what I felt like God had for us today out of this passage that I was thinking about it, and I wrote it all out as I was getting ready for bed. I went in, and I was swigging some Listerine around, you know, getting ready to brush my teeth, you know, getting ready for bed. And I'm not kidding you. As excited as I was, I was so distracted that I went to reach into our cabinet. Instead of grabbing my toothbrush, I almost grabbed my razor. 
okay? So for those of you who don't know, I use a double-edged safety razor, which is those old school ones that actually use a real razor blade. So I was so excited about this message and about the truth in it that I was ready to shave my teeth, okay? But I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be with you. As Matthew said, I've known him for a long time and we have had the privilege of serving together. This is the part that he's gonna deny till his death, but I'm telling you, it's my favorite memory of Matthew. The first time I really remember him, see, he he was a few years ahead of me in school. So I I was a freshman, you know, and uh, he was one of those really cool kids that was on stage all the time at convocation and all. And and so, man, I was, this guy's, he's cool. So what happened was, I remember one convo, we we would have, um, people would hand him an out announcements to make about things. Some of them were official announcements. Some of them were just one dorm wishing another person happy birthday or something like that. And so as he was going through, he usually would look over them before he read them. But uh, our dorms at Liberty, by the way, at that point were numbered. So that makes a little more sense. Um, But he'd sit there, you know, say, hey, dorm 18-1 wants to wish Anna a happy birthday. So happy birthday, Anna, you know. uh, Dorm 19-2 wants to, to wish Rick a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Rick. And so then he gets to one. And he reads it and says, Dorm 23-2 would like to wish Anita Hickey. Happy birthday, Anita Hickey. Anita Hickey. That's my first memory of your pastor, okay? Um, so I don't know what that says, but I, you know, one of my other memories is probably a little more flattering of him. Uh, when I first got to the church in Christiansburg, we were in a tough spot as a church. There were a lot of things that were going on, a lot of areas we needed God to work and to move. And so Matthew, like I said, he's a few years ahead of me. He had some ministry experience that I didn't, and I'm always keen to glean from whoever I can. So I, I sat down with him and was asking, you know, man, what, what do I do? You know, with the church in this kind of position, where, where do we go? What do we look at? What, what do we even try to do from here? And If you've been with us for the last several weeks here, you'll know that this is not going to come to you as any kind of surprise. But what Matthew told me was, Sean, you need to pray. He said, you need to get the men of the church together weekly, and you need to be praying together. Now, unfortunately, that discipline's kind of fallen by the wayside as far as us meeting together. But during that season, there was a group of about four or five of us men who got together every Tuesday morning to pray for what God was doing in each other's lives and the lives of the church. And although uh, it wasn't an easy road in a lot of ways, God has moved our church to a place of strength. And I think it's in large part due to the relationships that he formed during the seasons of prayer. So when Pastor Matthew talks about praying, this isn't just because this was the hot topic at the SBC or anything like that. This is because this is something near and dear to his heart. And it's something he's been living for a long time. So uh, with that in mind, I'm excited about the privilege I have of being able to continue this study. You know, you've been in the series Invited to Ask for a while now. In fact, um, Matthew didn't ask me to preach until a couple of weeks ago, so I had to get caught up. And so I I went back to listen to the podcast, and I put it on two speeds so that I could make it through. And that worked most of the time until I got to Pastor Michael's message. Um, There are very few people who talk faster than I do. Um, But he was able to roll through that one and did such a great job. And man, as I listened to all those messages, I was was a little concerned because I thought, "What, what more can I add? You know, you've already seen how much of a privilege prayer is that you have the right and the opportunity as a follower of Christ to come into the presence of God and ask him to move on your behalf. You've looked at great model prayers from people like Nehemiah and Paul, and and you've seen all of these incredible ways for us to pray. You, You took a look at the model prayer that Jesus gave, and we call the Lord's Prayer, where he outlined for us several patterns in the way that we pray. And and so you've seen a ton about prayer over the last 
last couple of months. Now, recently, Pastor Matthew has shifted the focus a little bit from individually how we pray to what God's doing through us as a church family. And so that's where we want to really pick up this morning. I want to encourage you to be praying in a different way than maybe you're used to. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're still trying to figure out about this Christianity thing, I want you to know we're so glad that you're here today. I mean, this is exactly where we'd want you to be because we're going to be talking about a story that highlights how awesome, how powerful, how amazing our God is. But with that, it's also going to give us something neat to see too. And that is that even the early Christians, you know, like the big names, the the really amazing guys that the Bible talks about, man, they were human. They did some pretty funny stuff in this, actually. We're going to see, this is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament because of how humorous it actually is. And I hope we're going to pull that out as we go through it. But this morning, what I would challenge you with is this. As we go to Acts chapter 12, go ahead and open up your Bibles that way. Uh, We're headed to Acts chapter 12. I want to challenge you this morning to pray beyond what you believe. Pray beyond what you believe. Now, this morning, I'm going to be preaching out of a different version than the one that Pastor Matthew usually uses. I'm using the Christian Standard Bible, uh, so it'll be correct on the screen, but it may be different if you're using a different copy, just a little bit of different translation. There's one particular verse in the CSB on this one that I really loved the way that it translated. But as you're turning over there, let me ask you, when I say pray beyond what you believe, how big are you praying? How big are your prayers? Like, I'm not talking about how long are your prayers. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 6 that a long prayer isn't necessarily a good prayer. A lot of times we just use vain repetition to make our prayers longer and and sound better. So I'm not asking how long is your prayer. I'm also not asking like how big are the words you use, right? Have you ever been in a service where somebody's praying and you think, man, I could never pray like that guy. He's like pulled out every word in the theological dictionary and he's just rattling them off. And man, I, I can't talk like that. I'm not asking how big are the words you use. I'm not asking how long is it that you're praying. I'm asking how big are the requests you're making of God. What we're going to see this morning is the church in Acts is praying in this passage for God to do something that's unlikely and impossible. And as God moves in that, we're going to see for us that we as a church need to be praying that God would do more than we could ever begin to imagine. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 1. I would encourage you, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church and executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter, too, during the festival Unleavened Bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads, four soldiers each, to guard him intending to bring him out after the pas- or to the people after the Passover. Now check out verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. That's a good one to underline, by the way. Verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals, and he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he didn't know what the angel was really hap- if, if what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. 
They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went home to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true, and they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. These th Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said. And he left and went to another place. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are the God who does the impossible and the improbable. I know that this morning I cannot communicate this truth to hearts. Only you can. So in these next moments we have together, would you speak in the way that only you can to glorify Jesus? And you tell us in your word that when Jesus is lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. So would you do that as you see fit this morning? Thank you for Jesus and his grace, his mercy, his death and burial and resurrection for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as you're getting seated this morning, I want you to see in this passage that the church was praying beyond what they believe. Now, some of you guys are looking at me all spiritual and you say, well, Sean, you know, I, I have great theology. I've read all the way through Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which if you have, good on you. That's great. Um, I haven't even read all of that one, right? Some of you, though, you say, I know exactly what I believe. I know that, that God can do the impossible. I'm fully aware of that, but can I... Can I be honest with you and acknowledge with you that sometimes we don't really believe that God can do it? You ever, you ever been in that spot? And like I said, some of you are looking at me all spiritual, and I get it. You know, you, you know the, you've got the right theology. You know that God's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, that God knows everything, is present everywhere, and is all-powerful. You know those truths, so you say, well, I can't possibly pray beyond what I believe. Well, I think if we're honest, many of us would find ourselves in the position that that this one dad did in the Gospels. You remember there's a story where there was a father whose son had, uh, had been possessed by a demon and he brought the son to Jesus for Jesus to cast the demon out. And Jesus, as he's addressing him, the dad says, you know, can, can you heal my son? If you can, I would really appreciate it. Here's Jesus's response. He goes back to him and says to him, if you can, Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that one of the most honest statements of Scripture? I, I do believe. I, I know that you're omniscient. I know that you're omnipresent. I know you're omnipotent. I know you can do everything, but I still know. I just don't know. I don't know if you're going to come through this time. I, I don't know if, if you really can do this. I don't know if you care enough. I don't know if you're able to do that. Well, my prayer, if that's the way that you've been praying, my prayer today is that as you look at the way the early church prayed in Acts chapter 12, that you're going to be able to pray beyond what you believe. In those moments where it's too hard, it's too scary, it's too disappointing to keep praying that way. Pray beyond what you believe. Now, from this, we're going to draw it out in two different ways. The first way that we see the early church praying beyond what they believed is they prayed bigger than what seemed probable. 
prayed bigger than what seemed probable. Now, as the chapter opens, the church is in a really bad place, right? If you look back at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you see that, that Herod has been attacking the church. He's taken one of the original apostles, James. This is not James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book. This is James that was John's brother, the two sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. He takes James into custody and executes him with the sword. Then what happened was, this is Herod, who's not the best guy. Herod comes from a long line of not the best guys. If, if you're familiar with the Bible, you, you may remember at the Christmas story, it talks about a King Herod who killed all of the baby boys in Jerusalem. If you remember that story, this is the Herod we're talking about's grandfather, okay? The, the Herod who killed the babies in Bethlehem is the grandfather to the Herod who has now killed James. He was actually a terrible ruler. Nobody liked him. The Romans barely tolerated him, but he happened to be friends with the Roman emperor, so he was able to get away with some things. So because everybody hated him and because the Romans really didn't like him, he had to make sure that the Jews who he ruled over really did like him. So whatever he could do to make them happy, he would make sure that he continued to do it. Well, that worked out pretty well for them because here you've got this, this group of Christians who's growing and the church is expanding and things seem to be going really, really well. So he, but the, the Jews didn't like it. The Jewish leaders are frustrated by it. So he takes one of their guys and says, hey, let's throw him in jail. Let's, let's behead him. Cool. Well, the Jewish leaders loved it. They were super excited about it. So he said, hey, if this worked out that well this time, why don't I go for one of the big fish? See, Peter was one of the ones that was in charge of the church. Like he was one of the, the uppity ups. So he said, well, why don't I just go for him? So I'm going to arrest one of the key leaders at a real crucial time. See, this was the Passover feast. The Feast of Unleavened Bread takes place right after Passover. So Jerusalem would have been filled with all these people who would have come for the festival. So he arrests Peter at this time when the city's full of all these people to see just how awesome he is, right? Well, now he couldn't kill Peter during the festival, so he has to wait till afterwards, but he's going to make sure he takes care of it right after that so everybody hasn't gone home yet. This murderous king is setting us up in a bad place. Here you've got a guy who's only in it for political gain, doesn't care about life, doesn't care about anybody but himself. And now Peter has fallen in the hands of this murderous tyrant. That's a tough spot to be in. But it's the perfect place for God to work. Can I be honest with you this morning, though? It would have been hard for me to pay, to pray for Peter. You know Why? Because God didn't answer when they prayed for James. Now, God did answer, but it wasn't what they wanted. We don't know how long James was imprisoned before he was executed. But we can imagine that there was some period of time where, where the church was praying fervently for James. They were interceding and asking for God to move and God to work. They were begging for God to do what only he could in delivering James. And then word came that James had been put to death. Why should we even pray for Peter? Why should we care? If they, if they kill James, they're going to kill Peter. Guys, is that how you approach your prayer life? Is that how you look at things? Sean, I prayed about that before. You know, I, I've asked, and I've asked, and I've asked, and I've pled with God, and I've pled with God, and he's always said no. Guys, I don't know why he does. I don't know why he has said no. But here's what I find. The church praying in the midst of a difficult time. A time when it didn't seem likely that God was going to answer. 
Remember, Peter is kept under Roman guard here. It says there's four sets of guards, four guards each, and at night they would have been trading out every three hours. There's no way. This doesn't seem likely. It doesn't seem probable. God's not going to answer. Why should we even bother? Now, a few weeks ago, Pastor, ta- Pastor Matthew was teaching us that God's answer could be no, slow, grow, or go. You remember that? Well, maybe you were praying for a go and you got one of the other answers, so now you're not even going to bother. Can, can I challenge you to honor God by praying prayers that you're not sure he'll answer? Can, can I challenge you to pray in ways that are scary because your heart will be so disappointed if God doesn't come through in this way and if God doesn't deliver can I, can I challenge you to do that, not just as individuals and families, but as a church? What's your dream for this church? For some of you, I know you just, you come on Sunday mornings, you're not in a community group, you're not looking at serving on any of the teams, you're not going on a mission trip, you just come. What do you want to see God do through this church? Would you dream with me for just a minute? We're so tempted to play it safe, right? We're so tempted to play, pray in ways that are real generic, real general, real, real closed in. Like, for instance, some of you may pray for your family, and, and you're going to pray and say, God, bless my family today. No, that's a good prayer, right? That's a, that's a good thing to pray. How would you know if God answered that prayer today? You see, it's so general, we wouldn't know if God answered it. Maybe God's going to bless your, your family by having a stack of $100 bills waiting on you when you get home today. Maybe God's going to bless you by having a blowout on the interstate and showing himself strong by protecting you. That's such a general prayer. We don't know how God's going to answer that. So maybe you're praying for, for Pastor Scott and you say, you know, God, be with Pastor Scott as he plans the worship music. That's a good prayer. But how would you know that God answered it? Well, it was a good service. See, I, I think sometimes we pray general prayers like that because we're like the TV psychic. How many of you ever watched a psychic on TV? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. I just have a sense that there's someone watching today that has difficulty with their relationships. Look, everybody's got difficulty with their relationships, right? Someone's waiting on a large sum of money. Yeah, everybody's waiting on a large sum of money, right? Like, if, you, if you're generic about it, you can make anything fit. And in the same way, we dishonor God by praying such general prayers that we're never actually asking him to do anything. I, I used this illustration earlier. If, if, if your piano player, she's played for a number of years. Let's say she was going to give a concert one night, right? And so we said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We want to honor you by, we've selected some pieces that we think will really show your talents and your abilities that we would like you to perform. So she gets the stack of music, opens it up. The first page is chopsticks. Blink, 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 blink. Okay, you know chopsticks, right? The second page is twinkle, twinkle, little star. The third page is the ABC song. <laughs> Every song in there is something that a child would learn in their first year of piano. And yes, I know those two songs are the same. That was the joke. We would dishonor her by saying, we don't think you can really play it, right? So if her talents are so much bigger than that and would be honored by being able to showcase those by giving her more difficult pieces to play, 
then can't we assume that the God of the universe who created everything in six 24-hour days simply by speaking it into existence, can't we believe that then that God is dishonored by the size of our request when all we're doing is praying for him to play chopsticks all the time? Guys, the church here is begging and pleading with God to do something that seemed so incredibly unlikely that many of us would have been tempted to throw it in and say, let's forget about it. We've been praying for four days. He's still in jail. How do we pray this as a church? Well, let's think about it for a second. What if God wants to use Crosslink Community Church in such a way that JMU is so reached with the gospel that it goes from being a party school to a place of prayer? What if God wanted to do that through Crosslink? What if God wants to use Crosslink to become a church planting training ground where men are raised up to lead new churches throughout the Commonwealth and around the world? What if God chooses to use the ministry of this church, things like Bless Every Home and other things that you guys are doing as a church? What if God uses those to reach the nations by reaching the neighbors as God's brought the nations to Harrisonburg? Many of you guys are surrounded by living next to, working with people who this is their first time in America and their first opportunity to be exposed to the gospel. Guys, what an incredible opportunity you have. You say, well, well, Sean, I don't know. I don't know how that's gonna work. Could, could Crosslink be the church that God uses to stem the tide of opioid use? Through developing recovery programs, through community groups that come alongside people who are struggling with addictions of all kinds and say, we love you so much that we want to pour the gospel into your life and help you to find the freedom and forgiveness and grace that only Christ can give? What if God did that? See, some of you, your view of Crosslink is just what happens here in an hour on Sunday morning. But what God could do through this church is so much greater than that. Yeah, Sean, but we, we tried reaching out to the JMU students. They just really didn't, didn't seem all that interested. Sean, you know, I've, I signed up for Bless Every Home, but to be honest, I signed up for it last week and I'm already tired of getting the emails. Sean, we tried that before. You know, the church prayed for James and he died. They prayed for Peter and he lived. Just because you've prayed for it before doesn't mean that God may not answer it now. You're in a different place. God's working in different ways. God's doing different things. So just because it didn't work before doesn't necessarily mean that it's not gonna work this time. Now, let me be quick to caution you with this. God will never answer a prayer that is dishonoring to him. Okay, let me give you an example that unfortunately I've heard before. If you're sitting here and you're praying for, because your marriage is in a bad place, you're praying for God to give you a way out of it and find somebody for you to love. God will not answer that prayer. And if it happens, it isn't because God answered it. The prayer that God would have you to pray is, God, I need you to do what's unlikely to heal my marriage in a way that only you can. Now, I know Crosslink is like our church. If you're in a situation where there's abuse going on, you talk with one of the pastors and we will take care of it and make sure that you're safe. But if it's just a marriage situation where you guys have been fighting about the same thing for so long and you're just out of love, you don't love each other anymore, don't pray for God to deliver you out of that marriage. Pray for God to do such a great work in you that, that it's transformed like it never could have been because it's so unlikely that it would happen. What if God uses Crosslink to, to be the place where marriages are transformed? 
You hear the statistics about something like 70 to 75% of high school students who grew up in church leaving the church when they go off to college. What if God uses the student ministry at Crosslink to change that? Well, it's likely that they're going to walk away. Well, our God does the unlikely. See, what God's doing in your life, you may have no idea what he's up to at this time. John Piper says it this way. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you might be aware of three of them. You see, God is always doing way more than you could ever begin to see or imagine. God was desiring to teach the church something here where he didn't answer the way that they wanted him to with James. Now he's going to answer in a way to deliver Peter in such a way that now 2,000 years later we can look back and see the great and awesome power of God. So maybe it was no, maybe it was slow, maybe it was grow. Maybe the time now is go. Okay, it's March Madness time, right? You guys have been watching the game. Some of you are bleary-eyed. You stayed up late watching them. I get it. So, so maybe you're convinced that you can pray about the improbable, you know, things that don't seem like they're going to happen. But for you, it's going to be last-ditch, half-court shot. If it goes in, you're the hero. If not, it's not really that big a deal. The game was already lost. So, so yeah, all right, God, save my marriage. <laughs> you know, you'll throw it up and walk off. Nah, it didn't go in. Is that how the church was praying in this? Now, now go back with me here. I want you to see it, verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. That word fervently is interesting. It actually is a medical term. The root of it is a medical term that was a muscle that was stretched to its limit. It's, this particular form is only used three times in the New Testament. Once to describe how we as believers are supposed to love and two times referring to prayer. Once here, one other passage. What's it mean to pray fervently? I think the other passage gives us a good picture of it. If you know, Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, went out into the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he began to beg and plead that if there was some other way for, him to be del- for humanity to be delivered, that God would do it. And here's what it says. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When we talk about believers praying fervently together, the only other time that that's used is to describe Jesus in the garden praying so hard in such great anguish that he began to sweat blood as the capillaries burst from the strain. Have you ever prayed like that? I mean, has there ever been a time in your life where you have fallen flat on your face and cried out to God to do something that seemed so unlikely, but you so desperately needed him to do it? That's what it's like to pray beyond what you believe. To pray fervently, asking for God to work, asking for God to move, to do what only he can. The church in Acts 12 here isn't just throwing up half-court shots, hoping that maybe it's going to go. Instead, they're praying fervently to God for him. They're undaunted by the fact that it seemed unlikely that God would have delivered Peter. They prayed bigger than they believed, knowing that God could do it. Now, as we get into their reaction a little further, though, we see this. Not only did they pray beyond what they thought was probable, they actually were praying beyond what they thought was possible. So as you're praying beyond what you believe, pray bigger than what seems possible. I love what happens next, guys. Y'all got to walk through this story with me because it's so much fun, right? Read this and I, I, listen to me. I take the word of God very seriously. 
I believe this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. It is the only source of our authority for rule and practice. It is what we go back to. It's everything. But that doesn't mean that you can't find the humor in it, okay? So let's look at it again, all right? Verse six, when Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Okay, here it is. Peter's about to go to trial the very next day. It's likely that he will be executed when he goes to trial. He's fast asleep. For me, there's two theories as to why he's fast asleep. The good theory, that he's so trusted in the sovereignty of God and the promises that God had made him that he knew he was gonna make it out so he was able to sleep like a baby. The other that's possible because of who Peter was is that he's so freaked out that he stressed himself to the point of exhaustion and he's just out cold, okay? Those are the possibilities. We don't know for sure. Likely, it's actually the first one because if you remember, God had made a promise to Peter that Jesus had told him that he would die when he's old. It's back at the end of the Gospel of John. You can look that up later. But so he wasn't that old yet, so it wasn't time. But he's asleep either way you cut it. Here's where it gets fun. So the angel, poof, angel shows up in the cell. Pretty cool, huh? Now, he's so asleep, he doesn't notice. So what's the angel do? Poke him, <laughs> right? He pokes him in the side, kicks him in the rib, I don't know. But he says that he kicks him in the side, or he, he strikes him in the side. So I don't know if he poked him, I don't know if he kicked him, whatever. Peter wakes up, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Gets his bearings. Then what happens next? Angel says, hey man, come on, we're getting out of here. The chains immediately fall off. Isn't it just like God to do that? Just done. I love it. Not only that, here's what's funny though. Peter is out of it completely. So the angel sits down and says, okay, hey buddy, come on, let's get dressed, right? He said, come on, man, put on your shoes, put on your cloak. Come on, let's go. We gotta go. Come on, we gotta go. Most of you, uh, many of you actually had to do that this morning, right? We have a three-year-old son who's at home. I don't know if our babysitter was brave enough to try to get them ready to take them to church today or not. Um, but if you've ever tried to get a three-year-old ready for church, you know how this goes. Our three-year-old recently has decided that he wants to pretend to be in slow motion. Um, not even kidding you. I'm not even kidding you. So he sits there and he, you're like, come on, buddy. We need to get dressed. He goes, Okay, Peter's not in slow motion, but he's still having to be treated like a toddler, right? Come on, buddy. Come on, let's get your shoes on. Come on, come on, get up, get up, get dressed. Okay, put on your coat. Come on, let's go. So the angel leads him out. They get to the gate and the gate just goes and opens up. And that's just cool. I love how God does stuff like this. Shows that he's the maker of heaven and earth. He can just move stuff without having to deal with it, right? Angel takes him out into the street. All of a sudden, the angel disappears. Here's Peter standing in the middle of the street. I love, again, the, way, the understated way that Scripture says it. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grass and from all that the Jewish people expected. What? Can you imagine, though, like, you went to bed last night expecting to die tomorrow. You just knew it was going to happen. And all of a sudden, you're standing out in the middle of the street, and it's the middle of the night, and you're like, wait a second. I, I'm legit gone. So he takes off, right? Now, fugitive in the middle of the night. Keep this in mind. He's running through a city. Now, they didn't have traffic. There would have been animal noises and things like that. But in the middle of the night, it's still relatively quiet. So Peter runs off to the church. Now, the church was meeting in homes at that point. By the way, it's really interesting here. It says he went straight to Mary's house, where a lot of people were gathered and praying for him. Is Crosslink such a praying church? that somebody in Harrisonburg who needed prayer knows they could come here and find it. 
is the reputation of your community group that because of the way that you guys pray, your coworkers say, man, I, I, you know I'm not a Christian, but, but my, my wife's got this test coming up. If, if you got that, that group or whatever, if y'all could pray for her, man, I'd really appreciate that. See, that they were so marked by prayer that Peter knew exactly where to go. He knew exactly where they would be and he, he found them there. Now here's where it gets awesome because it's so real. Peter sneaks up, you know, all right, knocks on the door. Servant girl, you know, wakes up, comes to the door. Who is it? It's Peter. Who? It's Peter. Oh, it's Peter. And she runs off and leaves him at the gate. He's an escaped fugitive in the middle of the night, standing in the middle of the street going, hey, hey, guys, 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 I'm here. Isn't it hilarious? She runs inside and it gets better. So she takes off running. She gets inside and she's just, guys, guys, Peter's at the gate. What does it say? They told her, you're crazy. <laughs> I love it. Isn't that how we would react? Now, what had the church been doing? Why were they at Mary's house in the middle of the night? They were praying that God would deliver Peter. What did God do? Delivered Peter. What did they think happened? That he died. That's why it says that, that they thought he was crazy. Then once they decide she's not crazy, they said, it's his angel. See, there was a Jewish superstition that said a person's guardian angel would appear as them after their death for a brief period of time. So when they say it's his angel, it's basically like us saying, oh, it's his ghost. Do you see how real this is, guys? We look at the super spiritual people of the Bible, right? And we think, man, these great heroes of the faith, they had it all figured out. When Peter shows up as they've been praying him that he would, they think, oh man, he must be dead. Isn't that so real? Isn't that where you and I are? We're praying and, and we hope that God's gonna do it, but we just don't know. We, we just don't know. So when he shows up, they don't believe that God did. Here's what's funny about this too. Acts chapter five, verse 19, it's not gonna be on the screen, but it says that God delivered the apostles from jail in almost the same kind of way before. So not only was this impossible, okay, but God had done it before. They'd seen it and they still didn't believe that he had. Man, isn't that just like us? God, I know you answered this prayer in the past. God, I know you showed up. God, I know you provided. God, I know you were in this, but man, I just don't know if you will this time. I don't know if you can. God did the impossible again. If you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you know that he can do the impossible, so why don't we pray for him to do it? I, I, I don't know all of the specifics of the history of Crosslink, but here's what I do know. I, I've stalked you guys for years. I watch you on Facebook. I, I knew Pastor John and know Pastor Matthew, so I hear a lot about what God's done here. Your church has seen God do the impossible time and time and time and time again. For those, there, I, I saw some heads nodding out here. For those of you who are new around here and don't know what God has done and don't know the story, come to the pastor's luncheon and hear some of the story or, or look around at the head that you saw, you saw near you nodding and let them tell you the story of how God has worked. This church has seen God do the impossible before. But it'd be real easy to sit there and say, you know, we got so many people coming that we can't hardly get in and out of the parking lot, so we're good. You know, community groups are good. Things are good. Money looks good. 
I'm happy where we're at. Why? Why would you stop? What if what God has done this, thus far to bring this church to this point is because he does have some plan to radically change this valley and the nations through what he's doing through this group of people who are our Crosslink Church? How amazing would it be if God would take Crosslink Community Church and use it to, to make some kind of lasting impact for his kingdom and his glory that only he can. But Sean, yeah, but we, you know, things are going good, but we still have this problem, but we still have this problem, but we still have this problem. You sure do. And you still serve the God who created the world. This, if you've got a worship guide this week, you'll look at some of your weekly readings this week. Some of them don't look like they're going to talk directly about prayer, but what they do is they're exalting how big God is. There's several prayers, or there, there's a psalm in there, there's some passage out of Isaiah that both point back to the bigness of God to remind you that he is able to do the impossible. So we glorify God when the church rallies around people to see him do that. Pastor Michael brought out this verse a few weeks ago talking about the fact that our prayers are to glorify God. But here, it's, I want to focus on it a little bit differently. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now listen, guys, he's saying that that glory happens through where? In the, all right, put it back up on the screen. In the, in the church. As the church is praying fervently, like Jesus prayed in the garden, for God to do the unimaginable, the impossible things, the improbable, unlikely stuff that we never imagined that he could do. As the church is praying that way, then God is glorified to do that. Isn't that awesome? Guys, what's his plan here? What's his plan for your life? You know everybody's going to die, right? Like you know you only have one life. You've only got a short period of time. There's a quote that won't be on the screen, but either Robert Moffat or Amy Carmichael said it. And the, the quote is that we shall have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but we have one swift hour before the sunset in which to win them. By the way, your media team is awesome because I didn't give them that and they got it from the morning's message. We shall have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but we only have one swift hour before the sunset in which to win them. Why would you pray safe prayers when you serve a God who's big enough to create the stars and the sun and the moon? Why would you be content just to come and show up at church and, and not be involved in what he's doing and expanding the kingdom? Maybe it's because you're still not convinced. Okay, Sean. I get it. Acts 12, God did something improbable. God did something impossible. That's cool. But you realize this is 2019, right? Like, have you checked Facebook in a while? Have you seen how messed up this place is? Yeah. But God hasn't stopped being God. You see, he forever settled his ability and his compassion for us on the cross and with his death, burial, and resurrection. J.D. Greer, who's the current pastor, who's the president of the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, says it this way. When I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. When I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. See, here's where it gets good, guys. We're talking about God doing the impossible and the improbable. 
Well, let me tell you when he did the most improbable thing. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of you in this room, every single one of us, including myself, have sinned and done things that separated us from God. Yet because God loved me, because of his great mercy, he came and died in my place. He took my sin upon himself and died on the cross. Now, what's more improbable than God dying for man? What's more unlikely that could ever happen than God giving himself as a sacrifice in my place? Guys, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is the essence of Christianity. This is the message we call the gospel, the good news, that God loved you so much that he'd be willing to take all of your sin, all of your failure, all of your shortcomings, all of the things that you do that dishonor him, and he would take all of that on himself in the cross and die. Now, that's no big deal. It's unlikely that God would die for me, right? That doesn't seem like that makes much sense. But you know what? Dying's not that hard a thing, right? Statistics are still 10 out of 10 people die. That's how it works. But you know what 10 out of 10 people don't do? Rise from the dead. See, the Bible says the impossible happened. Jesus, who became sin on our behalf, who took all of the wrath of God that we deserved, who bore all of that, died, was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. He came back to life, guys. Do you see how amazing that is? What could God not do if he's already done the improbable of dying in my place and the impossible of rising from the dead? Then can't God help us to be able to impact the area around us? Can't he give me a love for our, my neighbors that, who don't keep their dog off my yard? Right? Let's be honest, guys. There's the coworker that you absolutely can't stand. Couldn't God, through the love that he's demonstrated to you, demonstrate that same love through you to love the people around you who are unlovable so they can know the love that you found? Can't God do that through this church? Yeah, but Sean, we've still got, you know, unfinished space back here and we've still got this thing. Great. Fill it up. Do what God calls you to do. Pray for him to work and to move, to do the impossible. See, that's why we say, I'll measure his compassion by the cross. Sometimes when we have those disappointing prayers, we think, well, maybe God doesn't care. No, never, ever, 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 ever buy into the lie that God doesn't care about you. He cares so much for you that Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's forever been settled on the cross. Not only does he care, he's able. That's why we say we judge his power by the resurrection. What are you praying today? What are you praying for your family? How are you asking God to work and to move? How are you inviting God to do what only he can? The impossible, the improbable. What's your next step today? See, here's, I know how this works, guys. I'm a pastor myself. In a few minutes, the service will be over. Then you'll be thinking about where you want to go for lunch, Get everything ready for work tomorrow. Get the kids ready for school. And whatever God has said to your heart right here, it's easy to leave here. Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, never doubt in the dark what God's shown you in the light. 
So what we want to do is take the next few minutes to give you an opportunity to respond. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? What are the next steps for you? What is God calling and inviting you to do? If you're here this morning and there's never been a time in your life where you've transferred your trust from what you've done to placing a trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then I want to invite you to do that this morning. It's simple, but it's not easy. All you have to be willing to do, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, that if you believe in your heart that God, if you confess with the mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this morning, are you willing to do just that? Are you willing to believe that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross and rose from the dead so that you could have a relationship with him? Are you willing to acknowledge Jesus as Lord? Now, we don't talk about Lord much anymore, but that means putting Jesus in charge of your life, your leader, your boss, your guide. If you're willing to do that this morning, why don't you tell him that? That's what prayer is all about. Asking God to work, asking God to move. So right there where you're seated this morning, if you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, never asked him to forgive you of your sins and to come in and lead your life, why don't you just do that? I don't have some kind of magical incantation that I read from a book that gets you saved. Just take a moment there and talk to God and say, God, I want you to be the leader. and I want you to be my Lord. I know that I can't do this on my own. I know that I've been separated from you because of my sin. I need you to work and you to move in my life. I need you to forgive me from where I have sinned. And by your grace, I want to turn from those to follow you. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.